3: welcome to after work drinks the weekly catch-up between best friends and magazine editors isabel truman and grace o'neill that you you lucky ducks get to join in on
1: yes lucky you how are you grace (laughs) o'neill
3: um i'm okay it's been a big uh morning for and very sad morning actually for our beloved magazine industry yeah big news so uh this morning It was announced that Harper's Bazaar, Elle and InStyle, which are three magazines that Izzy and I worked across for most of our careers in Australia, are all closing immediately because of coronavirus related issues. Um, Everyone had been stood down around the start of coronavirus in April um, and they were hoping to kind of reopen everything later in the year but that sadly hasn't happened. And that's come after there was like a massive closure of magazines in New Zealand as well. So it's been just a really terrible year for print media.
1: Yeah. It sucks as well because obviously print has been struggling for ages with um, the internet, the interweb, but (laughs) yeah, it's just like, it's, you don't really need a global pandemic and for an economic crisis to happen when it's already like such a tumultuous time. Um, in mags And it's really sad because all of our friends will have, you know, a lot of our friends have been affected and have lost their jobs. And I think as well, when you're so close to something like this happening, and not only have we worked across these magazines and worked in these buildings until really recently, but also have so many friends who are affected, you kind of, it feels like you're weirdly more removed from the fact that actual, the magazines that you grew up loving and reading are gone. It feels more about the people than about how sad it is for an industry and how sad it is for um, something that we grew up absolutely loving. Do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, I think you're right. I think because we are so close to it and see it through the lens of work that we just forget the massive cultural impact that this is, like literally the end of an era. And we've said before in our episode that we did with Alexandra Shulman from British Vogue about how You know, magazines were really the first place that we as young women got to see and explore so many of the things that we were interested in or discover what we were interested in or find like-minded women that we not only related to, but like aspired to be. It was the place where we started exploring our identity as young women. Um, And I think that it's just really sad to think, you know, I know that there are different outlets for young women to discover that now, but I just think it's really sad um, that what was so important to us is now gone.
1: I would love to hear what you think about this, but I do think that we've discussed this in the past. Um, I mean, we've been scared, we were scared for our jobs for a long time with um, the way the landscape's been moving, the media landscape's been moving. But I always have thought that there'd be a drop-off now, but it will. magazines will never close entirely. There'll always, there will always be magazines and there will always be room for magazines, especially the best ones out there. But like, do you think that there'll be a resurgence?
3: Yeah, I almost feel like it's this kind of thing where things had to finish the way they were in order for a, a different way for magazines to exist to happen. You know, I think about stuff like, The resurgence of vinyl or the resurgence of print books. There was apparently a huge crisis in publishing like 20 years ago when people started buying Kindles and reading stuff on iPads where book publishing numbers went drastically down and people were literally scared that printed books weren't going to exist anymore even the cinema like when blu-ray and stuff became a thing people stopped going to the movies for a while and cinemas started um, dying out and closing but then it all just picked up again it's almost like sometimes you have to lose something to realize how valuable it was to you and then when it comes back you've got a renewed appreciation for it I always imagine that happening with with all print media like people have to kind of experience what it's like to live without it and miss it and miss the tactility of it and miss you know the beauty of amazing photography and fashion imagery in printed form which is like how it should be seen I think that people will have to have a period of not having that and then start to miss it and that's when there'll be a resurgence I don't know if that's just romantic thinking but that's kind of how I see it happening
1: and even um the New Yorker which I mean doesn't say much about beautiful photography but it has its biggest circulation numbers ever at the moment so it's like people are still enjoying having a physical magazine I actually hate reading things on digital I hate reading articles digitally I really don't enjoy it yeah
3: same it's not the same type of enjoyment I think that what happened was you had you know magazines had this like golden glorious heyday in the 80s where there was so much budget and so much money and teams were run in this very specific way and I think that what happened was that kind of system of running things stayed in place and got leaner and leaner based on budget cuts and it was kind of trying to make this old old system work in this new world and I think that's where it didn't really fit yeah whereas I think that the way that the future like media companies will run will just have to be different. But it might just take a bit of time for that to figure itself out.
1: And also, if there was no Harper's Bazaar Australia and no Elle Australia, you and I would never have met and
3: this podcast would not exist. Exactly. Oh, let's raise a glass to that. How gorgeous. (laughs) I know. (laughs) We never would have met in the break room. It's so romantic. But really, like, the most... Incredible experiences of my life, including meeting you. Uh, I all got to experience because of those magazines. Everything that we have got to do and been able to achieve. I'm sure you feel the same, is just beyond my wildest imagination of things I'd be able to do by this age. It was such a fantasy to ever work for a glossy magazine. It felt like such a pipe dream. I remember when Elle relaunched, it just felt like the most exciting place in the world to work Mm. and then to be able to work there you know for like six or seven years and then to be able to work at Harper's Bazaar with like just such iconic editors and people and stylists and writers we were just so lucky and so blessed sorry to say blessed
1: yeah I know I feel the, the exact same I remember when I got the email from Ellie who is still one of our good friends today our former boss at Harper's Bazaar um, telling me to come over to Sydney to join the office. Like, it was the most excited. I remember just spending so long trying to figure out what to wear, and I ended up wearing this hideous skirt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, God. Um. Yeah, it was a dream. And even just traveling the world with work and writing for these incredible publications will forever be... We're so lucky that we got in when we did, and we're so lucky that we still got to experience not the tina brown era of magazines but a very good time
3: yeah an important era nonetheless and also we part of the reason we wanted to talk about this is because we know that there are a lot of listeners who are young aspiring writers or who had dreams of working in the magazine industry who might be feeling very um what's the opposite of optimistic (laughs) pessimistic who might be feeling very pessimistic um about what they're seeing in the news today and you know we feel the same it's really upsetting it's definitely the end of an era in the Australian media and it's scary and we have amazing talented friends who are scared as well but we also so strongly believe in the talent of all of these people who worked in all of these titles isn't going anywhere what's going away away is the name that they worked for So the creativity that we're going to see, the projects we're going to see people working on, the intelligent, creative ways we're going to see people maneuver their way in this kind of new industry is really exciting and we know that the next couple of years are going to breed the most amazing crazy projects that we can't even imagine now and that you should really just keep tabs on the individual people you're inspired by and follow what they're doing because they haven't stopped being immensely talented and they're not going to stop doing incredible work it's yes. just going to change how that work is done
1: exactly to quote the devil wears prada it's not just a magazine it's a shining beacon of hope and it's to thank for After Work Drinks podcast.
3: Yes, let's raise a glass for the magazines. We're not drinking because it's 11 in the morning, but (laughs) But maybe we will tonight. Yes. I would also
1: like to talk about something that might help people who are feeling anxious at this time. And that is that I've been having a bout of anxiety recently. um, And so I thought, Fuck it! It's worth the twenty four dollars to pay, which is very expensive to pay for the Harry Styles sleep story on the calm app. Twenty four dollars for a month for an app is quite. Outrageous. I was gonna say
3: that is considering Netflix yeah. is like ten for every movie ever created.
1: It's so crazy, um, and then one of our listeners was mess- was DMing us, being like, "Is it is the car map worth it? I can only pay for a yearly subscription of like two hundred dollars." And I was like, <laughs> I was saying, "No, don't do that." And then so I downloaded it for the Harry Styles um, sleep story, and then I'm just going to be really honest here. It made me anything but sleepy. <laughs> his his voice is so sultry. The story itself is like a romantic journey. He says, "Hold my hand," and then you go and get on a raft together and go down a river and snuggle. I was like, "Are you fucking serious?" You're just making every woman in the world
3: horny instead of sleepy.
1: (laughs) Everyone's thinking of busting on a fucking raft.
3: This is this is framed as a calming sleep situation when it's really Harry has just done essentially soft audio porn yes for the women during covid and it's what everyone needed but i was gonna say i just don't think it would be calming to listen to him no and he you puts on the most
1: sultry voice i was like jesus and like that night i just really wanted to go to sleep i need to try it on a night row. Right?
3: don't <laughs> <laughs> so are you gonna stay with the calm app or are you gonna cancel after one month and just listen to harry every day for a month
1: Um, I'm trialing some other aspects of the app currently. So they do a daily calm, which was like a 10 minute meditation. And I listened to that last night and it played the sound of rain. And then they talked you through a meditation. So I'm going to try and do that because I really do need to learn how to meditate. My um, therapist always tells me, (laughs) she's like, you need to do yoga, do some mindfulness. So I'm going to try it for a month, but I'll let you know because that's expensive
3: have you ever done the she ever made you do the almond thing that's what our old therapist used to make me do what it was really awkward well you'd have an almond in your hand and she'd be like touch the almond feel what it feels like in your hand place the arm and do you you actually have an almond in your hand yeah you actually got an almond and you had to chew it really slowly and, like, appreciate every bite. And it was about trying to make you live in the moment. It was so random. I was like, I hate this. Because she was just watching me do it.
1: One time mine, it was the worst thing ever. She made me... Um, She's, she's like, amazing. She, she's only done this once and I really didn't appreciate it. But she made me picture being on a beach or something. I think she was trying to figure out what... She was trying to make me get this animal that I thought of to calm me down. So she was made me she talked me through the story and then I ended up on a beach and then at the end of it she was like and what was your animal and I like hadn't thought of one because the whole time I was like I hate this I hate this I hate this I can't relax I just it's just not my vibe and then so I just go a horse (laughs) 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 and then she was like think about the horse every time you feel anxious I was like I'm never gonna do this but thank you.
3: Oh, my God. Yeah, that's an unusual one. I guess they just keep trying. They just keep throwing things against the wall and, like, one round and one will stick. Yeah. With techniques. I've been feeling anxious lately, too. Um, and when I feel anxious, I sleep really badly. And <laughs> I've already told you this, but I've been having sleep paralysis again. <laughs> okay. Sleep paralysis is actually honestly not funny. It's a nightmare. <laughs> a nightmare. A literal it is a nightmare, <laughs> nightmare, but it's also just a nightmare. Um.
1: No, so I told you, I go, God, I got no sleep last night because I started fucking dreaming about a Jeffrey Epstein-style pedophile ring that I was like reporting on so I was trying to uncover all these all this stuff about it and it was so stressful and then I woke myself up with the stress of it in the middle of the night and then I was like, oh god, I just literally cannot go back to sleep and dream about pedophiles. So I had to get on Instagram and try and wake myself up. And then so by the time I got back to sleep I was exhausted.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and I was like, I also got no sleep last night because I had sleep paralysis that a woman with a gun was coming towards me in the bedroom. (laughs) It was just annoying because I just know it's not real now, but it's it feels so real in the moment, but I know it's not cause I'm like, why would there be a woman with an actual machine gun? It looked like someone that was like in the jungle in like the Vietnam oh, War. Oh, full army gear on. Army gear and she looked, yeah, I know. It's so stupid. That's what's annoying about it. I'm inside my family bedroom. And I just wake up and there's just a woman in the corner coming towards me with a gun. And I'm like, I know you're not real, but I can't wake up for three more seconds because that's how this stupid thing works.
1: Remember when we did an episode on this, because I feel like we've got heaps of new listers and they might not have gone through the archives. Please don't go through the archives. What was the don't thing you, you said that um, makes it stop when you sleep on your stomach?
3: Yeah, so you don't, I can. I can't sleep on my back. I don't sleep, I try not to sleep on my back. Sometimes I'll just end up on my back and that's when it happens, but apparently that stops sleep paralysis from happening. But it's really horrible, but it's, I think it's an interesting thing how your anxiety can manifest itself in strange ways and I've noticed that with people around me now how your anxiety isn't just anxiety it's your a behavior you have will start being different and you realize it's because of your anxiety and mine's 100% sleep
1: well I got really drunk on Friday and Saturday and then just before we started recording I was like to grace I haven't done any prep because I really 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 needed to clean my bedroom (laughs) so That's what helps me be less
3: anxious. Yeah, I've had that too, the hungover clean where I'll clean, like, the entire house and the bathroom and, like, vacuum everything. And now I'm like, now I can relax. (laughs) Um, So let's talk quickly about Kanye West again. I feel a bit sad. I feel a bit sad talking about him because... I do not want to turn what's going on into some sort of media circus show but I also think that it's worth talking about the way that we react to what's happening right now because I think it's really important that people react in a compassionate kind way.
1: Yeah so I thought that Kanye had dropped out of the presidential his presidential run but he launched his campaign yesterday with a rally in Charleston and kind of started speaking about some really problematic personal issues and I think it is if you if you know much about bipolar which I do um I have a close friend who I actually have a couple of close friends really good friends of mine who have bipolar um so I've been around them in both manic and depressive episodes if you know much about bipolar then it's pretty easy to spot that Kanye is going through a manic episode right now. He's said in the past that he sometimes won't take his medication, and um, while that can may seem like it's a reckless thing or an irresponsible thing, um, bipolar medication can make people feel really, really different and really um, completely unlike themselves. So some people find it really difficult being on medication consistently. The sad part about this is, A, that some people just seem to not understand what's going on um, and kind of writing it off as some kind of funny thing to be joking about these videos and, yeah, just taking the piss out of him. And secondly, that it's happening in such a public way is really sad.
3: Yeah, so when I watched it, I had probably the same reaction as you where I just thought, why is this person being allowed in front of hundreds of cameras, you know, and I understand that.
1: Just, I guess it's really hard to stop someone doing something that they really want to yeah, do. Yeah, you can't
3: prevent someone from doing it. I just, It just feels like he doesn't have a good network around him but I guess that's also probably a very ignorant thing to say because there's probably a lot of really close family members to people who go through like serious mental mm-hmm. ha- health lapses like this where they're like it's not about how much you love someone or care for them or how strong the network is like yeah it's just the way it is and because he's on such a huge pedestal and has such a huge profile it's just this horrible situation where I just think I don't want that footage to be out there I don't want to see him like that I don't want it to be being circulated Seeing him like that because it makes me feel really upset and really uncomfortable and it's very obviously something that I think the public shouldn't be witnessing but at the same time I don't know the way around it because it's like the press can't not attend these events because their job is just to cover newsworthy items and the biggest rapper in the world running for president is something that the media has to cover Mm. so I just don't really know what the answer is if there's just a decision that journalists make where they're just not going to engage with it at all which it seems to be like what a few outlets are doing
1: yeah and I also think that it's important if you are covering it or if you are talking about this to give context give a lot of context Mm -hmm. as to what's happening but yeah like what you said just then about him um, about people thinking you know where's Kim right now or where's his family right now it is really hard to stop anyone from doing something they want to do and especially when they're in a manic episode which I I mean you can't really assume anything we don't know for sure that this is what's happening but it really looks like it is so I don't see how they could have stopped how they could prevent this happening Mm. which must make them feel really helpless as well.
3: Yeah and he said some like pro-life anti-abortion stuff and yes okay you could make a decision to sit and critique that and say that it's anti-feminist or whatever but I really think that that would be to miss the point of what's going on right now. You know he's a really beloved figure and it's really upsetting to see any person in the public eye go through a really difficult mental health battle and I just hope that he gets the help that he needs basically. That's like all I want for him
1: yeah and i think it would also be quite triggering for people who do suffer from bipolar especially um seeing him like this
3: Mm. yeah yeah definitely yeah and and the way that it's being portrayed by a lot of people is like crazy kanye doing crazy stuff like that would just be really really triggering as well because it's not Mm. That's not what it is. It's not just like a wacky individual. It's like the symptoms of an illness manifesting themselves.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I wanted to touch on quickly the fact that the New Zealand election is happening in September. We just had a new leader of the National Party last week. Judith Collins. She's been in the party for years and years. She's one of those long-standing national MPs. She is really tough in what she says. She fights dirty. She's going to go up against the fact that Jacinda's known to be kind and compassionate and be the complete opposite. And I just would like to remind everyone to please think critically in these times don't just trust everything you hear don't just trust random rumors that are unproven and have no fact about them let's actually really put some thought into this and also please do not assume like it's funny because I think when you're not in New Zealand Jacinda Ardern is the most beloved human on the planet she is Mm. a hero she's on the cover of time um and she is really loved here as well but I think it's important if you are in New Zealand or if you are a New Zealand citizen and you live overseas, please be aware that your vote really does count, even though you might think Jacinda has it in the bag. And that's all I'm going to say about that for now. <laughs> but...
3: Yeah, I think there's an assumption around her that she's just going to wipe the floor with this election because everyone could just sees her doing this incredible, incredible job. But yeah, that's why it was interesting to hear your perspective on that's not really the attitude from within New Zealand.
1: Yeah, and I mean, she's she's incredible and she more than deserves to win, but I'm just worried that people might sit back and think that she has it in the bag so so they're not going to go as hard in terms of voting or in terms of campaigning or supporting or anything like that. And it would just be a shambles if we lost her.
3: Yes, that would be completely wild. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What did you think of the Jacquemus show mini-controversy this week? Because I feel like this is so interesting and so indicative of the problem the fashion industry is going to have now. So if you missed it, Jacquemus is a French fashion brand, very, very popular on Instagram. They've actually been around for 10 years, but kind of blew up in the last couple of years. And Simon Port, Jacquemus, who runs the label does these like incredible runway presentations um he did one in a lavender field in provence and then this was a wheat field somewhere in the south of france that he did this big show and the runway was as his runways often are very very diverse and inclusive more so racially inclusive than size inclusive i would say Mm -hmm. but his campaigns his instagram account he's always been quite good on the diversity front but then he uploaded a picture of his team on the runway and it looked like every single person in like the 30 person team was white so it was like a really it kind of went around like a viral meme this contrast between the optics of what's presented externally versus what's actually going on behind the scenes
1: Yeah, it's super interesting. It's that's surprising as well, because they're one of the brands that you would assume would be really diverse, like you say, more so than a lot of the other ones, so I don't know what the other ones look like. That meme went viral and then a couple of days later the CFDA Fashion Awards announced their twenty twenty nominees. And basically the same as previous years, pretty much everybody is white who has been nominated. So for American Women's Wear Designer of the Year, it was Ashley Olsen and Mary Kay Olson for the row, Brandon Maxwell, Gabriella Hurst, Mark Jacobs and Tom Ford. And the CFDA for anyone who doesn't know is kind of Oscars of the fashion world. So massive for fashion designers, but yeah, incredibly whitewashed.
3: Incredibly whitewashed and also they keep oh they keep nominating the same people every year. So it's like Tom Ford has won six CFDA awards including a lifetime achievement. Mark Jacobs has won a lifetime achievement and they're kind of like, why do you keep nominating people that have been honored with lifetime achievements mm. for awards every year? It's just kind of random. Wouldn't you use it as a place to showcase new designers that are worth knowing about instead of rewarding the same designer every single year? You know, it's just kind of a strange thing.
1: Yeah. And what I've also found really interesting is that I was super shocked that this month, for the first time ever, a black photographer shot the cover of Vanity Fair for Viola Davies. And then also Vogue, who put Simone Biles on the cover, didn't use a black photographer. It's, and it
3: showed, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I feel like the way Annie Leibovitz, like, lit her and shot her was just not it. Yeah. Really. But it's, it's, it's so nuts. And this is why... The diversity question is so interesting because it's been such a huge push in this conversation about how fashion can be more inclusive is about making your Instagram feed diverse, making your campaigns diverse. And it's like that can kind of end up becoming this band aid solution for actual change where it's like actual change isn't happening. You're just giving the illusion that change is happening and then everyone can just rest easy and keep buying all the same clothes that they were buying before without feeling guilty. Whereas that can end up becoming super tokenistic and not actually very effective because the actual dramatic changes that need to happen in the industry all need to happen from the inside. So I'm like, what is the answer? Is it, is it that every company needs to be transparent about the makeup of their companies internally?
1: I was just really, really shocked that Vogue US wouldn't think to get a black photographer for that shoot. I feel like it's just a bare mm. minimum, you know? Like, it's just so simple to do
3: yeah, and people they've had still one, aren't doing it. have one, right? Ever. Tyler the Mitchell, Beyonce yeah. cover that Tyler Mitchell did. Yeah, I know. It is really shocking. But that's the thing. There's just so many elements to this problem because on any given cover shoot, it's like, the photographer, the stylist, the hair and makeup artist, which we've talked about a bunch of times, the lighting person, the editor, or at the very least. If every single one of those people are white, literally the history of photography, the way that people are taught photography and the same way people are taught hair and makeup is to, to shoot light skin. Yeah. So it's like this problem is endemic across everything. It impacts the way people design clothes, that like people design clothes for thin white women. So that will impact the clothes that are styled on a cover shoot. It just impacts, like, everything. It's so complicated. And I think because of the last couple of months, because we're seeing a lot more inclusion on our Instagram feeds, we're like, oh, yay, racism is solved. And obviously it's, like, really dangerous if we start getting complacent just because we're physically seeing more inclusion. That does not mean that the problem is fixed.
1: Yeah. I think, like Francis McDormand said, the legend, the icon – when she won her Oscars speech that there literally just needs to be inclusion writers in the film industry, which means that a percentage of people need to be from different minority groups to make up the team, but that also needs to be in companies.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: That's the only way forwards. And that does mean like, I don't know if everyone's got on their head around this. This does mean that white people need to move over and move out and be, and step aside. Um, And you need to be comfortable doing that. People in New Zealand, so Maori students can apply for kind of more uni benefits and scholarships and things like that. And people actually like have a go at that being a thing. And it's like, that's a thing because Mm. they've been so pushed out of the system for so long that we need to help to, to correct what's wrong. That's
3: the thing. It's like that old saying. It's like when you're used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Yeah. Like when you're used to getting things that you don't deserve, suddenly the playing field being equal starts to feel unfair. But it's yeah. like, no, it's just being fair for the first time. This is what's interesting about what's happening in the media and fashion landscape in general now is like things are drastically shifting. This pandemic has like shaken the whole industry up so crazily that then there that means there should be room to change the way you hire or to change what your staff looks like. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. And it was really interesting, just last minute on this, seeing how brands have completely changed their approach to fashion week. So now Prada and Gucci, I'm sure there are a bunch of others, but those are the two that I saw, launched digital fashion shows which were accessible to everyone to watch and which kind of followed the basic format of a runway show but tapped a bunch of different really amazing um, creatives to create films and digital content in lieu of a runway show. And I just thought it was so genius. And I just, I wonder if this will be the future of the way that like fashion week is done entirely, because we obviously were at fashion week in February and as incredible as it was, there was just this feeling of like the amount of resources from a sustainability perspective that goes into putting on these 10 shows a day for one month feels wasteful. And it's only being showcased to a very small handful of people, which feels quite elitist mm. and to fill that runway you have to create like way more clothes than you're even probably going to produce for your collections which feels wasteful so I just wonder if this new system is actually a genius way to transform the whole way that fashion shows are staged
1: totally and I mean we have been to so I mean I've been to New Zealand Fashion Week a bunch of times and then we've been to Australian Fashion Week a bunch of times but that was the first time Oh, you'd been to New York Fashion Week um, and I'd been to London before, but that was our first time at both Milan and Paris. While it was incredible to see, not only were we looking around thinking, I can't believe this happens like two times a year for those specific shows and then a bunch of other times in between every single year, (laughs) it's just flying Mm. people around the world for two full months flying models clothes like the the extravaganza of the events themselves let alone how many clothes need to fill a runway for a show that's only viewed by a couple of 100 people who were lucky enough to secure a ticket
3: and it takes 10 minutes like take, an actual yeah. runway show is 10 minutes long so it's yes. like you it's all of this stuff for something that's
1: over really quickly and obviously it's an it's an incredible thing to experience firsthand but when you're there every show we were leaving we were discussing how beautiful it was but how we'd seen the same thing on a bunch of other runways and just how many clothes can you need in the in the world and it's literally just to fill those runways yeah. and to fill those set specific timelines like so many New Zealand brands that I've been talking to um recently since I've been home because a couple of my friends are really incredible fashion designers here they were saying that this process of slowing down has made them reevaluate so much about why they do what they do And why they work so fast and produce so many clothes. And it's for this old rigid way of doing things so that your clothes can be shown at those specific times to buyers because then they're bought into stores. So it's all this like big wheel that keeps turning, but suddenly you're realizing you're producing way more than you want to. You're not even enjoying your collection anymore because you're literally doing it to meet a deadline, um, which is just wasteful and draining for nothing. Like, why don't we just switch it up?
3: Yeah. And it's like the Prada show had, I'm assuming from what I could see, a third of what a normal runway show would have. Everything was so simplified. There was so few things and every single thing was fucking beautiful, but it was like a great jacket, a nice dress, a beautiful handbag, a great pair of pants, a great white t-shirt. And that was kind of it. And I was like, yes, that's all we really need. And that's probably Mm. all they sell. You know, they'll create these huge runway shows and will probably just sell those things that were shown in that collection they did the other day. That will be what makes them money because that's what people go to them to buy. And it's like, we should get past this idea that four or five times a year, a person has to create a 90-piece collection that's staged in this insane way the same time that 80 other designers are doing it. It's just nuts when you actually think about it. And I just think that the impact it has on the planet and the impact it has on people's I think Instagram has made people including designers like panic create because everyone's panicked about getting new stuff but I think the pandemic has made us feel like like don't you feel as if um even the concept of like buying something to post on Instagram now feels kind of random like it feels obsolete in a way it didn't a year ago
1: yeah, totally. I mean, I it was finding it funny because a couple of years ago, you would post anything. I would catch up with my friends and I'd post a photo of them across the table from me. And now I'm like, why would I do that? That's mm. so weird. Every time you hung yeah. out with someone, you'd post it on Instagram to show that you were hanging out with them. Or, and that was the same with outfits. So if you went out on a weekend, you'd want a new outfit because you'd be posting what you were doing. But I feel as though not only has it changed outfit wise, but I've just changed in the way I... Now I won't post anything until weeks later. It feels mm. less, uh, less f- urgent now. But I don't know if that's just a kind of specific us thing or, not, or what.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month
3: to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra
3: a little off topic uh friend of the podcast Phaedra hello um recommended this stand up on netflix called jigsaw by daniel sloss um and it's famous because it has made over 20,000 couples break up and has ended like 80 marriages and 75 engagements or something and it's been out for a little while but she just watched it and recommended it and then Me and Izzy both watched it and it was kind of amazing. Basically,
1: he talks about relationships and settling in a way that um, obviously really resonated with thousands of people saying that everyone has their own jigsaw that they're trying to put together through their life.
2: When I was seven years old, my dad said something to me that to this day is the reason I will die alone. But I was seven years old. I didn't know what life was. I was like, I didn't know what existence was. How the fuck would I know? Uh, So I thought I'd ask my dad, because he can fix a computer, so he must know. (laughs) So I was like, Dad, what we all do? What's the meaning of life? Why are we all here? What what, the fuck? And my dad loves his kids, so he wants to explain to his son in a way that he'll understand. But unfortunately, his son's a fuckhead. So he has to explain it in a way that a fuckhead will understand. And he accidentally did it perfectly. And it's stuck with me since then. This is what he said, right? Just imagine that your life, my life, everyone else's individual life, imagine all of our lives are like our own individual jigsaw puzzles. And as we're going through life, we're just slowly piecing it together, bit by bit, based on experiences and lessons that we've learned, until we get the best picture. But the thing is, everyone has also lost the box for their jigsaw. So none of us know what the image we're trying to make is, we're just confidently fucking guessing. So the best way to do a jigsaw when you don't have the image to work off is to start from the outside, the sides and the four corners. Family, friends, hobbies slash interests, job. Now, that made perfect sense to me because I was seven years old. I fucking love jigsaws. <laughs> so I was like, all right, okay. So once you've got the stuff on the outside, what's, what's the main bit of the image? What are we all working towards? And he goes, well, that's, that's the partner piece. You want this perfect person who you've never met before to come out of nowhere, fit your life perfectly, complete you, and make you whole for the first time in your life, much like your mother did for me. And even though what he said sounds sweet and whatever, what it manifested in my seven year old brain was this If you are not with someone, you are broken. If you are not with someone, you are incomplete. If you are not with someone, you are not whole. And that's not just something my dad made me feel. That's something that we as a society have made every single child born in the last 40 years feel. Every Disney princess has a prince. Every prince has a princess. Every television show or movie always has a character in it, right, that doesn't want to be in a relationship, right? They're happy with who they are. But then by the end of the series, guess what? They were wrong!
1: But then he also speaks about settling and love and how people are just so much more concerned with being with someone than who it is and kind of this really old patriarchal and kind of systemic idea that everyone needs to be in a relationship which is really fucking with a lot of people and making people just stay with people that they don't actually love anymore because they would rather be with them than be alone and it's very interesting
3: it's so interesting i feel like it's it's like we talked to Florence Given about the same thing and it's this whole idea of singleness changing and becoming this kind of aspirational state instead of this thing that we view as like a sad thing or a failure for a person. It's people are finally flipping the narrative of saying being on your own is fucking awesome, working on yourself is fucking awesome. We should have an attitude that your life is should be so great on your own that the person that comes into it has to be incredible for it to be worth sacrificing that to be in a relationship. But instead we have the attitude of you will just do anything to be in a relationship because being single is so awful. Like that's kind of the narrative that we have instead of the other way around.
1: And it's this thing. um, I mean, we talked about it on our heartbreak episode, um, which if you haven't listened to it, please refer back to hear me cry. (laughs) But we spoke about that and I was talking about how um, ending a relationship in your late 20s versus ending a relationship in your early 20s is a two completely different, a long-term relationship are two completely different things. Um, And how I, being pretty independent, pretty um, strong-willed and fine on my own, even I felt these crazy societal pressures and even I felt as though um, I'd failed and then suddenly it's like I was saying to you the other day that as I approach 30 I want to like hold a sign up just being like by the way you no need to feel sorry for me I'm not actively looking for love I'm not some sad scorned woman who like needs a partner and can't find one or I don't know you just you just assume everyone literally is looking at you feeling sorry for you when it's not even what I want or people don't people would never think that you weren't actively dating or weren't actively trying to find someone even if you told them that they would think you're lying
3: yeah totally but that's that's the thing we don't we see single as being this transitory state to being in a relationship you know we see it we don't see singleness as a permanent thing we only see being in a relationship as a permanent thing and that's when it's not the even a permanent thing <laughs> No, because neither are, or they both are, I don't know. But they're just, it's it's this strange way that we approach it where it's even like, you know, I've talked to friends before and they've talked about being single or breaking up with someone and I'll be like, you know, oh, my God, you'll find someone so easily. And people have said, you know, oh, I don't want to. Like
1: why are you projecting onto them that that's what they're trying to do? It's it's so crazy, yeah. It's just ingrained in you.
3: Yeah, because it's it's my way of saying to someone that I think they're amazing. Someone else will love you. (laughs) Is to say that any any smart person would want to date you. And it's like that's a really dangerous narrative to be perpetuating because you're just saying to people, like, don't worry, you will find someone. And I'm like, I don't even mean that. I don't even Mm. think that that's a thing, so why am I saying that? But it's just the whole way we relate to our girlfriends especially is to and our guy friends i think this is like across the board like if you have a guy friend who's perpetually single the conversation is always we need to find him someone who can you go out with don't worry you're amazing i don't get why you don't have a girlfriend like that's the conversation around anyone that's single for a long period of time from very well-intentioned people is this yeah. is a problem that we can help you fix <laughs> There's just never this belief that someone's just absolutely, completely content being single. Now that you say it, I feel as though we've just
1: found a thing that men are better at than women. <laughs> Is that I don't think guys really talk very much. They don't put relationships on a pedestal like women do. I don't think men would talk as much about who are you mm. dating um, have you got a boyfriend? Have, sorry, have you got a girlfriend, or do you have a partner as much as girls do? Like we, it's it's just, it's kind of like this bonding thing, where there's two bonding things women need to cut out, and it's bitching about another woman to bond, and it's talking about men and relationships mm-hmm. and dating in this kind of really intense way. I remember when I just broken up with Anton, um, and my friend thought it would be a good idea, bless her soul, to take me out for dinner with a bunch of her other single friends. And it was like the worst place humanly for me to be because I was sat at a table of eight girls speaking nonstop. The only topic was men. And I was like, I just want to get out of here. I I don't feel as though this is even what I would speak about normally anyway, let alone right now when I'm trying to kind of figure my life out and feel okay on my own and then suddenly you're thrust into a situation where it was just men 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 men, guys 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 who are you dating have you gone gone on a date yet are you on dating apps don't worry you'll be okay you'll find someone you won't die alone like it's just so crazy and also mm. this jigsaw guy a crazy statistic is that 90 percent of
3: all relationships that are started before 30 end that's why his his stand-up is so powerful because he's like I'm not saying that you and your boyfriend or and girlfriend who are here tonight are going to break like have to break up. You will. I'm just saying like statistically <laughs> yeah. almost all of you are. <laughs> so why not just think about why that is? Because this is this is the thing that was so genius about what he said was that we live in a culture that teaches us that you end a relationship when a catalyst happens. You know what I mean? So there are so many people Like, we know them. There are so many people in relationships that aren't bad relationships, that aren't, like, shitty, toxic relationships, but they're just not – there's no real love there. It's not, like – These people are hugely compatible. They're probably not even that happy together. They probably complain about their partner most of the time when they go out for a drink. There are couples that you know where they don't even seem to like each other that much. But it's like there's never been this catalyst of someone cheating or someone doing something terrible. So they'll just stay in a relationship that they're not fully content with. Where they're probably sacrificing parts of themselves to keep the relationship going. Because you're just taught that you just, you can't just break up with someone for no reason. Like there has to be a reason or or you'll just sit there and be like, maybe things will get better or. And it's also
1: a time thing Like you you've invested so much time and energy into this person that you just don't want to end it. And then start again. I think a lot of people are just scared of, I think people are scared of not finding someone that they're more compatible with. But if you are actually not feeling like you're in love with someone, then you definitely will. Um, and feeling like you won't find someone that loves you as much as they do. I think for a lot of people who have kind of fallen out of love, it's a it's a worry that you're not going to find someone else who will love you like your partner does. And you will. Both of those things will happen.
3: Do you remember that Dear Sugar's thing you sent me that she did? And it was – she Cheryl Strayed had just written about how she left her husband – and how he was lovely and loved her so much. And like there was literally nothing wrong with him. But she just had this nagging thing. And so she left him. And Rachel Cargill actually mm. posted something really similar the other day. Of like sometimes yeah. just wanting to leave is enough to leave. Like sometimes that is just reason enough. Sometimes you will never find another reason. And that's what he talked about in the stand up. Where he was like sometimes you just get to the point where you're just hoping that someone will like cheat on you. or, yeah, yeah. or like whatever Because you just don't know how to get out of it um without something big happening but it is a
1: really horrible feeling breaking someone's heart with my last relationship before this fresh one um when i was 21 to 23 or 20 to 23 we were best mates we got along so well he made me laugh on paper everything was perfect like it actually was and but I had just fallen out of love. I still loved him so much, but I just fallen out of love. It was literally like Mm. on the episode of girls. I think first episode of girls where Marnie and Charlie are together and Marnie sleeps in Hannah's bed because she doesn't want to sleep beside Charlie. And then when he touches her, she says she shivers and that's, was how I got. <laughs> you got the
3: ick with your long term. Yeah, partner, yeah, basically.
1: yeah. It took me a year longer than it should have for me to end the relationship because I was so afraid of hurting him and also because I was so afraid that I wouldn't find someone that was as compatible to me as he was because we were so compatible and we did get along so well and everybody, everyone, is constantly going, he's amazing, he's so great, he's so cool, you're so lucky that you're like, oh, well, I'm a fucking idiot if I end this. And then it was the best thing not the best thing I ever did. Bliss's heart is lovely. He'd, he'd be like, cool, thanks. But um, it wh- when I ended it, I was like, why didn't I end this so much sooner? Why didn't I end this mm-hmm. a year ago?
3: I think the fear of being alone is so fucking powerful. Like I think about, so me and Zach broke up for a year almost um it was i'd never used dating apps before because it was i don't know it means that got together in like the pre dating apps days and in that period i just remember getting like gripped by this crazy fear of being alone it was just i'd never experienced it so much before and it, it whipped me up into a panicked state and then with dating apps i got addicted to this like instant gratification of being constantly reminded that you're not gonna die alone because there's options you know so it's like the way i scroll on instagram or scroll through internet shopping it became this addictive dopamine rush to be on an app where you could be reminded that people found you attractive and that you probably weren't gonna die alone and it just got me in a really negative mind space i look back on that period and i i really wish i just chilled the fuck out and just not thought about it at all yeah but I literally just got myself into a state, you know, for the first couple of months and then I calmed down. But like the at the start it is you, you and I was very young then. I was like 23 or 24. And just even then the social messaging about it, I just felt like I needed to find a soulmate quickly. <laughs>
1: yeah, you would lie on my couch and I'd be we'd be watching The Hills and you'd just be scared. Swiping, 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 and then you'd get bored. Mm. And so I'd have a go swiping Literally. for you. But also, I think there's a flip side of um, this as well, where I think that a lot of people. So I was reading this article on The Atlantic, and I wouldn't, <laughs> I honestly wouldn't recommend it for anyone who is single, even when you are happily single, because she is just, I think she sounds like she just, yeah, sounds insane but basically she's recommending that people settle in their relationships um and they don't they settle in their relationships even when it's not perfect which i do but i think what i was when i was reassessing this article in my head what i think she's saying is like if you still love someone you kind of they're not going to be perfect which is true but when i first read it i was like what are you on about saying that everyone should just settle just so that they don't die alone even if they're not happy but now I'm thinking that she just has this crazy idea of romance and that she thinks has watched too many rom coms and think that thinks that romance is this crazy passionate intense thing every single day of your life where you want to rip their clothes off. And then now she's saying that even if you don't feel that passion to stay, which is just a very normal thing that everyone should um kind of know, I guess.
3: Yeah, I think I yeah, I think she wrote that in a time where there was this fever pitch of all those like self-help books about how to find the perfect man and it was it's just like this very retro sex in the city style kind of because it was like the mid noughties i think when she wrote it i think there was this there was this obsession with how you could like life hack your way into finding mr perfect like you're mr big you know what i mean that was like a big conversation for women and i think that article was her kind of saying you're turning away things that could give you a happy life if what you really care about is marriage and children because you're focusing on a type of um, romance that's just not realistic or sustainable. And, like, I think that that reads as just really fucking outdated now. But I think a modern version of that would be, like, Esther Perel, who has really helped me listening to her. Like, she did that article a couple of years ago called Love is Not a Permanent State of Enthusiasm. And I loved it so much because I think we – especially like daniel sloss says this in his stand-up he was like our millennial generation especially was given like such a ridiculous um presentation of what romantic love is supposed to look like we've literally been funneled from like the day of birth with every disney movie fairy tales every rom-com we've watched every like tv show we've ever watched teen tv show love story that you are just floating around waiting for your soulmate to appear and then when they come you've got to make sure you don't lose them and then you get to like live happily ever after and I think I subscribe to that so much and then so to hear a relationship expert talk about the fact that like loving someone is a verb it's like something you do every single day it's like work it's not always thrilling and exciting or if it is always thrilling and exciting then maybe it's not like the kind of person that you're going to build a life with because that's not what stability looks like and that there's values in a relationship that go beyond like wanting to throw someone against the wall every five minutes it's about trust and wanting to do the same things with your life and like making each other laugh and just all of those nice things but i think if we these these are the two things that we need to simultaneously get our heads around is like it's fine to be single don't be terrified to be single and when you find a person that's like worth sacrificing the freedom of being single for um they're not going to like transform your life all of a sudden like they're going to transform your life but they're not going to turn you into a different person it's like that arrival fallacy like you're not going to meet a soulmate who literally completes you and changes your whole life you're going to meet someone who you're both going to agree to mutually put in work to be with long term
1: yeah and i think that's something that has been so damaging with movies and tv shows and all of this that great big love stuff and i definitely do think that when you meet someone who you want to be with forever you should feel that really intense passion and love and kind of obsession and lust at first but that fades boy does it fade and Mm -hmm. you will have to work at it and like you won't want to have sex with them all the time and that will have to be something that you'll probably have to communicate and work on and sometimes you'll hate them and then other days you'll love them and that's just a relationship that's how i feel about you sometimes not the sex thing but the loving and hating thing
3: (laughs) yeah it's like boundaries and communication and all of that boring unsexy stuff is essential to making a relationship work but then obviously what we're talking about is the fact that like it shouldn't just feel like work all the time and it shouldn't feel like doubt all the time it's like that there's a a double-sided thing to it
1: yeah and people also have in their heads especially millennials i reckon is like the grass is always greener mentality. And especially with all of these apps, you feel like you have so much access to so many people that you're worried about. You 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 constantly have in your head that there might be someone out there that's better suited to you. And I think that that's a really kind of damaging
3: way to be. Yeah, 100%. And it's like, I think we also need to, we're, I think we're a very absolute generation. We like things in absolutes and that it's really important to normalize doubt and uncertainty because they're just human things and we shouldn't read into them to this crazy extent. I remember reading a really good interview with Adam Driver where he was saying that because he just done marriage story and he was saying that um in his own life, in his own marriage as a father, doubt is really essential to everything that he does. He said, you know, I have doubts about my Marriage. I have doubts about how good I am as a father. I have doubts about how good I am as a performer. And all of those things just push me to be better in all of those roles. And I think we shouldn't live as a generation who treats doubt as this massive red flag that means that we need to get out of a situation. Mm. For because doubt is just human. But then I think if we get used to the fact that we're okay with being on our own, then we'll be a lot better at interrogating what a normal amount of doubt yes
1: <laughs> Yeah,
3: a hundred percent.
1: So, watch that Netflix special, everyone, and let us know if you break up with your other half, who should not be your other half. Yeah, if you, you break up whole. with
3: someone, tell us. That would yeah. be crazy. Yes. Wild. Twenty thousand couples. I think he said twenty thousand couples. So that would have many. alerted him to it as well exactly
1: yeah that's how many he's counted but yeah that's how many have literally messaged so wild yeah crazy we are going to leave it there we also it was our 100th episode on saturday but we just completely forgot to celebrate that so Aww, that's cute
3: happy anniversary
1: Happy Anno and um we will see you all again on saturday we have a really exciting after it drinks with episode coming out on saturday that we can't wait for you to listen to yes
3: See you on Saturday. Love you.